Being successful in our professional lives depends on lots of people agreeing on certain principles. Show up on time. Follow through. Take your responsibilities seriously. Respect your boss and your colleagues. But what do you do if those shared expectations are violated? Our question this episode, how do you behave when your direct report behaves disrespectfully and refuses to acknowledge that you found the behavior disrespectful? Welcome to episode 59 of How Can I Say This, where we look to build connection and community through courageous conversations. I'm your host, Beth Bilo. This episode features a listener question about working with a disrespectful colleague. The ideas I offer certainly apply in a professional setting, but I hope they also might be useful in any relationship where it feels like respect and a lack thereof is a problem. Before getting into the question submitted by the listener, I just have to make a confession. This is like full transparency. I've been kind of stuck lately um, around my podcast and just um, kind of up in my head, and I've snapped out of it and been reminded of something important, and that is just to lighten up. The reason I got stuck was a few weeks ago, and this is going to sound totally silly, but I need to share it anyway, because I know that I'm not the only person that this has happened to. I am a fan of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me on NPR. And I listen to it typically probably on a on a Sunday or maybe Saturday night making dinner or Sunday afternoon as the podcast. And they got to the segment called Bluff the Listener. And in this particular episode, the Bluff the Listener challenge was around podcasts. So they were making up stories, you know, two stories that were false and one story that was true, and the listener had to guess which one was true. And they were talking about different podcasts. And Peter Sagal, the host, said something by way of introduction. Today, we're going to, you know, bluff the listener with stories about podcasting, that medium that is self-indulgent and for people who just like the sound of their own voice. It was something like that. I'm not getting that exactly, but the uh, that was the essence of it. And I just remember being in my kitchen and hearing that and going, whoa, okay. <laughs> it's not the only time I've heard that description, I suppose, of podcasting, but something about it just kind of struck me. And maybe I was just in a sort of um, insecure or vulnerable spot, but I kind of let it get into my head. It made me question, like, why am I doing this? What is my motivation? What is my intention? Just a couple of nights ago, I was leaving a meeting and a friend who is also a podcaster asked me, so how's your podcast going? And I said, well, funny you ask. I've been feeling kind of stuck. And, you know, I chatted with him for about a minute about it. And he, uh, before he got into his car, he told me about a Saturday Night Live skit I think it's called Father Son Podcast, and I'll I'll put a link to it in the show notes. That again, also kind of mocked and made light of podcasting, but also of father son relationships. And it just it just made me laugh, and it reminded me to lighten up, to not take it so seriously. Um, we have to be able to laugh at ourselves. Probably even the more serious we take the activity or hobby or professional endeavor that we're undertaking the more there's probably a need to lighten up around it, to get out of our heads. And if you do get into your head about it, and this is what, you know, I did was to use it as an opportunity to clarify your intentions and just to check in with yourself, like say, am I being overindulgent? Um, is this because I like the sound of my own voice? You know, what what is it that is driving me? And it made me realize 
again, you know, my intention, which I actually say every time I do this podcast, but a variation on it is that I want to provide resources. I love sharing resources with people that make their lives better. I want to provide encouragement that you can have these conversations. You can engage in productive conflict. Um, you can do this. I want to provide useful information that helps you to have more productive and courageous conversations in your life. I do believe that the quality of our conversations is directly tied to our life satisfaction. So I feel like this is really important work to do, and I'm going to keep doing it. It was also a listener that submitted her question for this week's episode, and she asked to be referred to as No Reply Nelly. And she helped me get out of my head as well. She submitted her listener question through the website. And in her message, she shared the following. She said, I love your podcast. It is so valuable. And I love being able to share it with people who have similar challenges and questions. I so appreciated getting that message. I felt it in my heart. And again, it reminded me of why I do what I do. And it's not because I love the sound of my own voice. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Nellie, for your very kind words. You absolutely helped me snap out of my overthinking, and you reminded me why I do this work. Before I pivot to Nellie's question, I want to remind you that you can visit HowCanIsayThis.com for more information about this podcast. From there, you can also access past episodes, you can subscribe, and you can find details about how to leave a review or offer feedback. And if you find this podcast useful, just like Nellie, I invite you to share it with a friend or family member or colleague. As we'll hear in this episode, an occasional feature of this podcast is responding to listener questions about conflict, communication, connection, and relationship building. I welcome your questions for inclusion in a future episode, and you'll find the online submission form and other instructions at HowCanIsayThis.com. I shared it in the intro, but let's hear again that question from No Reply Nelly. How do you behave when your direct report behaves disrespectfully and refuses to acknowledge that you found the behavior disrespectful? Nelly offers a specific incident that highlights the behavior that she's talking about. Without getting into the details of it, because I don't want to give any identifying details away, it involves asking an employee in multiple ways not to do something. And then when Nellie was gone from the office, the employee did it anyway. She told the employee that they needed to have a conversation because she was disappointed by their actions. The employee then emailed an aggressive response, accusing the manager of micromanaging and generally telling her how to do her job. After the manager got the email and read it and had a chance to calm down, she scheduled a call with the employee to discuss the matter. She tried to find out what the employee was concerned about. And long story short, she really didn't get anywhere with the employee. She shared how disappointed she was, and she gave the employee an opportunity to reflect on the inappropriate email that they'd sent. Instead of being contrite or apologetic or explaining, the employee doubled down and said that the email stood. The manager closed by acknowledging that it was a difficult conversation. She wished the employee happy holidays and thanked them for their hard work. The employee didn't own their role in the conflict, didn't acknowledge that they'd done anything wrong, and didn't offer any solutions. The manager said that she even got another aggressive email after that conversation. And here's the tricky part. The manager believes the employee is a great asset to the team, and she doesn't want to take them off. 
Let's start with what you did well, Nellie. You initially communicated your request in multiple ways, including in person. Sometimes we forget how powerful in-person is and how necessary it is. So kudos to you for not only, you know, doing it via phone and email, but also in person. And when you learned that your directive had not been followed, you tried to address it as quickly as possible, first through email and then followed up by the phone. According to what you shared with me, you asked the employee first to talk through their concerns, which is a great starting point. The temptation is often just to jump right in with how annoyed we are or how much the other person messed up. Because you're the boss and you're in a position of authority, you're more likely to have a productive conversation with the other person if they get a chance to speak their mind first. Asking them to speak first levels the playing field, so to speak, because they're less likely to go on the defensive. You asked them if they had anything else to add that would explain what was happening, which was a good way to draw out more information. On the surface, and based on what you've shared with me, Nellie, you took steps to treat them respectfully, even if they didn't return the favor. Because I wasn't there, and I don't know the employee's side of the story, and I don't know how the relationship is the rest of the time, I'm going to keep the following comments general. If I tried to offer specific ideas for this unique situation, they'd almost certainly miss the mark because I don't have adequate information. But I can take a step back and offer some ideas to consider any time you're faced with a situation like this. And I'm not going to suggest that what I offer here fits Nellie's situation or anyone's situation perfectly. These are just the components and considerations that I invite you to explore. So let's say you have a colleague, it could be a direct report or a peer, who is being disrespectful and maybe even insubordinate in their behavior. First, ask yourself a question that I've mentioned on this show before. What else could this mean? We tend to escalate up the ladder of inference very quickly, in seconds, in fact, and go from observable fact, what someone says or does that's contrary to expectations, all the way up to, that person is rude and disrespectful and out to get me. We have to slow down our response to ask ourselves, what do I think is going on here? What else could this mean? Remember that when someone lashes out in a manner that's disproportionate to the situation, there's a strong possibility that whatever is going on has much more to do with them than it does with you. You might have stirred the pot, but the ingredients that were bubbling over are the ones that were put there by the person who's lashing out. That doesn't mean that you as the manager or friend or family member bear no responsibility. It's just that whenever they're laying all of the blame on you, that's a sign that they're not recognizing or owning their role in the conflict, because it does take two to tango. And who knows what is going on? If we assume best intent, that the person thinks that they're doing everyone a favor by calling you out, or that they're suffering for some other reason and don't mean to take it out on you, then there's a chance we can approach the conversation more from a place of compassion. Assuming best intent doesn't mean letting them off the hook, or that they didn't do damage, or that they're not wrong. It just means that there are complicated motivations for their behavior, and we can't make assumptions just based on what we see on the outside. We have to find out what's going on on the inside. 
I've offered two things there to consider before you even address the issue with the person being disrespectful. One, ask what else this could mean, and two, assume best intent. Both can help you to internally diffuse any anger or hurt that you're feeling so that when you initiate the conversation, you'll be in a more open and curious space. Another piece of pre-work to do is to reflect on if this is a pattern or an anomaly. Is this happening regularly or with increasing frequency? Or is the behavior out of character or out of the blue? Either way, it's good to be able to name what you're noticing. If it's a pattern, then you can say, I've noticed over the past few weeks that you've been consistently responding to me in a way that I perceive as angry, or whatever the emotion is that you're sensing, and I want to check in with you about it. If it's an uncharacteristic behavior, an approach might sound like, you're usually very calm, or thorough, or by the book, or relaxed, or enthusiastic, whatever it is that you can observe. You're usually calm, and so the reaction you had to my request caught me off guard. What happened? It's important to stick to what you've observed, what you've felt, and to try your best not to blame or put the other person on the defensive. The goal is to get them to open up and share. So as tempting as it might be to say, what's wrong with you? That's really not going to encourage them to talk. So check that temptation and instead turn it more towards help me understand or I want to check in with you about this. Also, consider if you can be vulnerable with the other person. When someone disrespects us, it hurts. It does not feel good. What can you tell them about that? Can you say, I felt really hurt when you didn't follow my directions. I made that request for a very specific reason, and I don't understand why you chose not to honor it. Would you help me to understand? It's more difficult to attack someone when they make themselves vulnerable by sharing that they've been hurt or disappointed. I acknowledge that it is a risk, because depending on the person that you're talking to, they might think that they've won because you're hurting. But I'd venture to guess that that is the exception, not the rule, especially in the workplace. I default to one of Dale Carnegie's golden rules. He says, give the other person a fine reputation to live up to. In the case of Nellie, that might sound like saying to her employee, You are an exceptional and valuable team member, and that's why I'm really confused about the interactions that we've had lately. The employee most likely wants to continue to be a valuable team member, so they're more likely to feel cooperative if that value is acknowledged. When you have the conversation, go in curious and without any assumptions about what was behind the behavior or what might happen as a result. Open up by sharing what actions led to the need for a conversation, why it's important to talk, what you both care about, and I'll pause here and just say that's a really important part. That's where you're talking about your common ground, such as you both want a cooperative working relationship. You're both passionate about fulfilling the mission of the organization. You both feel it's important to be good team members. You both place a high priority in achieving the goals for the team. So you talk about what you both care about, and you talk about what you're curious about. Even if the other person says, well, I already told you in the email, you can say, well, it's really important to me that we talk in real time because meaning is lost when it's just in an email. I can understand better where you're coming from if I hear you talk about it and I have a chance to listen and respond. 
And then as they're sharing, and hopefully at that point they will share, listen without interrupting as much as possible. Give the other person lots of room to say what's on their mind. And when it's your turn to share, acknowledge what they said, agree with the points that were correct or well-reasoned or well-founded, directly and tactfully clarify anything they said that was wrong, and then ask what they want to happen next. I want to backtrack for a second when I talked about clarifying anything that was wrong. That is more about facts. Um, Don't make their feelings wrong. It's more, you know, if they misstated a fact or information that is important to clarify. Now, the conversation might not happen as neatly as what I just described, but the bottom line is that in the course of the conversation, you want to listen and make it clear that you heard them, validate their perspective and take responsibility for what's yours, clarify any misunderstandings or wrong information, and agree on next steps to improve the situation. The agreement might not happen in that first conversation. You might each have to go away and think about what could make things better. Or feelings might be running too hot in the moment to think about an agreement. It might even feel like in that moment an agreement isn't even possible. But ultimately, something needs to change. With an employee, that might mean that you both agree to new behaviors and promise to hold one another accountable for sticking to them. In other situations, it might be that you have to escalate and go to human resources, or that the employee will be put on a performance improvement plan, given a warning, or even terminated. While someone might be a valuable team member, there does come a point of diminishing returns where you have to ask yourself, is it worth supporting them in that behavior? And basically, you're supporting them in that behavior by having them stay in their job. You might want to keep them in their job. They might be valuable. But if they refuse to change, that has a huge ripple effect on the rest of the team and then ultimately the organization. And you have to step back and ask yourself, is it worth it? Because it's extremely rare that someone is not replaceable. And I don't mean that to sound kind of crass, but we can work it up in our minds that we'll never find someone else or there isn't going to be anyone else or that it would be the end of the world (laughs) for some reason if this person was not part of the team anymore. And I ask you to challenge that assumption, challenge that story. You know, work as hard as you can up to the point that you can to keep that person and to make it work. And be ready if there comes a moment when it becomes clear that it's not going to work. And be prepared to take that courageous action that ultimately is going to be best for both the organization and the employee. Because that employee, if they continue to act out, is clearly not happy and needs to be happy someplace else. What happens after the conversation often depends on what happens before it. If a direct report or colleague is demonstrating disrespectful or damaging behaviors, make sure you're documenting it as thoroughly as possible. Document the occurrences, the conversations, the repercussions, and if you witness any improvements after action has been taken. Any human resources professional, and I'm not one, but I've worked with a lot and I I know some of those basic principles, Any professional will tell you about the importance of documentation. One place to explore if your team or group is experiencing friction is the words that you use that you think are your glue, such as respect, teamwork, cooperation, excellence, value, service. 
These are really subjective words that get thrown around frequently, often without clear or shared definitions. Not having shared definitions can be okay until there's a problem or when one of those concepts is challenged. It's worth the time to step back and ask. What do we mean when we say we treat each other with respect? What does that look, sound, and feel like? How will we know when it's not there? How will we know when it's present? This point is often overlooked. This defining terms that professionals rely on to have a smooth working relationship, respect is definitely one of those terms. We can all agree to treat one another with respect, but do we define what that means? Do we all agree on that definition? To one person, it might be deferring to authority. To another, it might mean enforcing policies. To another, it could mean not bothering the boss with every little detail. And to yet another person, it could mean making sure you're completely in the loop about every little detail. Here's a quick story that showed how two different people defined respect and the impact that it had. I was working at a large nonprofit. And I needed a list in order to complete a project. I email my colleague, who I also considered to be a friend, who could help me with that list. And in the email, I just said, "Would you have a moment to send me a list of media outlets that meet these parameters?" She emailed back and said something like, "It feels more respectful to me if you include a salutation and then give me some context for your request, so I know how to prioritize it and I can feel like I'm a colleague instead of just doing what you say." I remember even saying it now. I sort of cringe. I remember feeling stung by her reply, but I had to get through my initial thoughts. And the first thing I was thinking was, "Well, I just was asking for a list. I was trying to make it quick for you. It wasn't a big deal. I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. And we're friends, so you know that I'm not trying to be condescending or disrespectful." I thought that that was assumed. Once I got over those initial thoughts and sort of processed through that, I realized that actually she was right. I apologized. I said it wasn't my intention to treat her like she was an assistant, and we made nice. This happened 15 years ago, and to this day, I will always put a salutation in an email and provide a bit of context for any request I'm making of anyone. In the case with my colleague, fifteen years ago, I thought I was being respectful by making my request quick and to the point, but clearly she didn't see it that way. Through her response, I learned how she defined respect, and that helped me to shape my own definition. I feel like in this episode, I've just thrown a lot of verbal spaghetti against the wall, and I'm hoping that some of it sticks and is useful, both to Nelly and to anyone who has a relationship with similar challenges. There's not one clean, easy answer, and the reality of working through this kind of situation can be very messy. But what's great is that you're recognizing the problem, and you're willing to do what you can to have a productive conversation and to make things right, instead of giving up and being passive aggressive or firing the employee or being openly hostile. You want to heal the divide. That takes courage and compassion, and I applaud you for that. And if, despite your best efforts, nothing changes, at least you know you did the best you could. As I close, I want to offer up two podcast episodes that I recently listened to that had a pretty profound effect on me, and I've shared both of them every chance I've gotten. 
One is from the NPR show Hidden Brain, and the episode was titled In the Heat of the Moment, How Intense Emotions Transform Us. The idea of the hot-cold empathy gap is introduced, and it was fascinating to hear about why what we imagined that we would do in a challenging situation is so drastically different than what we actually do in that same situation. It's critical information if you're interested in building your own empathy and your ability to understand others. I keep thinking about it and it keeps popping up. And once you are aware of that hot, cold empathy gap, you'll see it all the time. And honestly, the knowledge of it can't help but build your empathy. The second episode is from Freakonomics Radio, and it's titled How to Change Your Mind. In that episode, they talk about how our opinions and beliefs take shape and why it's so hard to change them once they are embedded. The episode ends with an idea about what it takes to successfully change someone's mind, and it left me both optimistic and discouraged. Optimistic because it's totally possible for minds to be changed, but at the same time discouraged because the way they describe to change people's minds we feel so far away from that solution that I doubt we'll see it on a large scale in my lifetime. And I don't tend to be a pessimistic person or cynical. And so I have to believe that we have to keep trying. We have to keep trying or else it's guaranteed that it will never happen. I'm committed to 2020 being a year that I expand my efforts to create spaces where hearts and minds can be influenced and where healing replaces divisiveness. I have no idea right now how that's going to look. So if you have ideas, then send them my way. This podcast is actually one of those um, those ways. This is one of my efforts to influence hearts and minds and for healing to take priority over divisiveness. So if you have any ideas, in addition to what I'm doing here, send them my way. I'm trusting that I'll create the opportunities and that opportunities will show up. So universe, if you're listening, I am ready for you. Links to the Hidden Brain and Freakonomics radio episodes that I mentioned can be found on the webpage for this episode at HowCanIsayThis.com. And because it's been a really intense fall with lots of work and lots of activity, which I'm all grateful for... I'm feeling the need for some intentional, deep rest. Therefore, this podcast is going to take a break for the holidays, and I'll have a new episode out the week of January 6th. I want to part by wishing you and yours a joyful holiday season, whatever and wherever you're celebrating and honoring your traditions. And I look forward to being back with you in the new year. This is Beth Velo, and you've been listening to How Can I Say This? Our podcast producer is Paul Messing, and our theme music is by Brett Anderson. Thanks to No Reply Nelly for submitting her question and giving us a great topic to explore. And thank you so much for joining me today. And I invite you to take what you've learned here and use it to speak up, speak out, and speak courageously. Mm-hmm.